Well, I know you guys are too, um, but I just want to say how much um, I am grateful for um, Pastor Mark and our team who continually um, leads us in worship. I, it's, it's odd being um, one of the only ones in the room whenever they are leading, but I, I'm really appreciative of their willingness and their, their service to us as we uh, continue to worship online right now, especially this time of year, right? Like we get, we get to, to sing some of these songs that uh, we've sung since we were little, these, these, these Christmas songs that remind us um, of, of what we're celebrating this time of year. And even, even as I say that, I know some of you are like, well, what about that last song, Tim? That wasn't really a, <laughs> wasn't really a Christmas song. I would beg to differ. I, I, I would argue that it actually is. Look at, the, look, look, look at this line right here. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. That's, that's Christmas. That's the story of Christmas. He came to the planet that he created, and he didn't come as creator or king, right? He came as a helpless, penniless, poor little baby. Couldn't, couldn't do anything on his own, but he came. Why? All for the sake of love. See, that's the story of Christmas. That's the story of, of Advent, the story that we celebrate this time of year, that the, the story of a rescuer who's come for us. And so it's not the first time you've heard it. It's not the last time that you'll hear it. Uh, but Christmas will always, always, always come back to Jesus He's the center. He's the reason. He's the point of Christmas. He's the reason. He's the center. He's the point of our celebration this time of year. And, and I'm coming out of the gate a little bit heavy today because that's the backdrop for this conspiracy that we've been talking about, right? Last week we said, let's push back on overdoing it. Push back on over-worrying, over-consuming, over-committing, over-indulging, over-spending. Let's just tone it down a little bit. But, but we didn't say we're going to say no to everything, right? Some people think that's, that's kind of the impression that we, they get from Christians. Christians are just, you know, they're anti-anything. That's fun. So one more time, let me just be really, really clear. That is not what we're saying that is not what we're talking about. We're going to stand for something, but we're not going to stand against everything, right? So we can, we can push back on some of the spending. We want to spend less, but the next thought that can change the world for today is give more. Give more. And I know what you're thinking. Lord bless them. I hope they don't let Tim take care of the finances around there, right? It's like, okay, how do you do the both? I want to suggest that we can do both. I want to suggest that you can spend less and you can give more at the same time. And, and as, I, as I have for the last three weeks, I, I want to connect it back to the story because there's a whole bunch of things in the story um, where we're going to get into here in a minute. But before we do that, um, I actually want us to start with a little bit of conversation, okay? Um, you've got maybe people with you, around you, in a living room, in a bedroom, wh wherever, the people that are around you. I want you to have a little bit of a conversation with them for a couple minutes, okay? If you're all alone and you're joining us on Facebook, um, have a conversation with us in the comments. If you're watching this later in the week, I'm sorry, but you're all on your own on this, okay? But here's, here's the question I want you to talk about. Why do we give gifts on December 25th? 
Like, what's, what, where does it come from? What's the history of this? Why December 25th, all right? Why do we give gifts on December 25th, all right? So I'll give you a couple minutes to talk about this. Here we go. Ready, set, go. Some of you are still talking about this. Some of you were done a minute and a half ago, but let's talk here. Uh, some of you might have gone the biblical route, um, talk about Jesus being the gift to all mankind. You're absolutely right about that. Maybe you talked about the wise men and the gifts that they gave. Um, I'm sure there were some kids um, around you that talked about this being Jesus' birthday and the gifts that go on there. All of those are right. Uh, let's go back to the wise men for a second, all right? Matthew 2 is where they show up. Um, we're told, then they opened their treasure chests and presented him, Jesus, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Lots of symbolism in um, those gifts, but let's just say those were really expensive gifts. They're really expensive gifts, and they were given to Jesus, not to each other in the presence of Jesus, right? It wasn't like, hey, Herb, I got you a seat warmer for the two humps of your camel. Oh, thanks so much. It wasn't, it wasn't that. They were given to Jesus, right? And so you, you just need to know that's a part of the story, that gift giving is absolutely a part of the, the original story. How many of you talked about Santa? Is that, is that even okay to talk about in church? I think it absolutely is okay to talk about in church, in church and, and it actually helps us connect to the story, okay? So you have to go all the way back to the late 200s, early 300s AD in modern day Turkey. And there are lots and lots of traditions and stories that have been layered on top of this. So we just need to admit that some of this we do know, some of this we don't know. Um, but what we do know is his name was Nicholas of Myra. Nicholas of Myra, and he was a pastor. 
Okay? And this one's for free, but notice he's a Moor. He, he's a dark-skinned man who was a follower of Jesus that loved giving gifts in the name of Jesus. Uh, Nicholas of Meyer was born into a wealthy family, but his parents died at a very early age. So he was left with all of this wealth. He didn't want to coast on all of that wealth for the rest of his life, so he started giving it away. He's a very, very generous guy. There's some stories that we, don't, we, can't, we can't obviously tell this for sure, but there's some stories of Nicholas of Myra dropping bags of gold into um, the windows of families that had um, poor kids or sick kids. So there's some of that as a part of his story. Um, around 325 AD, he's a bishop, and he's actually a part of what we know of as the Council of Nicaea, which was a, a, a council that was debating a heresy that had popped up about the divinity of Jesus. And Nicholas was one of the guys who stood up and said, Jesus is absolutely divine. He is God with us. We know that part. We, we don't know this for sure if it's true or not, but there's a story about him getting really angry with the guy who was in charge of this council and either threw a shoe at him or punched him in the face. Um, we don't know this, but that might be where the whole, you know, you better watch out, you better not cry part may come from. Not sure about that. But let's just say Nicholas of Myra was a passionate defender of Jesus. He was passionate about this idea that Jesus was was Emmanuel. Nicholas um, of Myra dies around 343 AD, and people who knew him um, carry on this idea that um, of helping the poor or giving to, to, to children. This thing starts to roll and legends get piled on top of it. Um, as you go, by the 12th century, French nuns are taking care of children in the name of St. Nicholas. Um, his name and traditions travel into Northern Europe um, and start mingling with the Teutonic folk legends of elves and sky chariots. Um, in the Netherlands, he's known as Sinterklaas. And that is where um, Nicholas of Myra starts to fade a little bit. And this guy that we know of as Santa Claus starts to come into the picture. In the 1700s, uh, Dutch immigrants take these layers of legends to places like New York City in their winter celebrations. Um, a writer by the name of Washington Irving pens a poem in the early 1800s about a guy flying through the sky in a wagon dropping presents down chimneys. In 1822, there's a real famous poem about a visit from St. Nicholas, not in a wagon, but in a sleigh pulled by eight tiny reindeer, and we're getting closer, right? After the Civil War, um, Thomas Nast draws what is probably the first illustration of a fat guy dressed in red giving presents to children. Advertisers pile on top of that in the preceding decades, and Santa Claus, as we know of him today, is born. Now, I say all of that to say this. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And here's the coolest part. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus, and he loved giving gifts in the name of Jesus. So, even the original Santa Claus points to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Okay? So, what about the date? 
right? That's, that's, the, that's the gift-giving place. But what about the date? Why December 25th? Well, that's because it's Jesus' birthday. Duh, right? Well, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, in the next two weeks, you're going to see on the History Channel or you'll see an article somewhere that will say something to the effect that this whole Christmas thing is just a pagan tradition. Um, it, it wasn't the Christian's idea, yada, 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 okay? So let me help you with that. First of all, we need to admit that we don't know what Jesus, what day Jesus was born. We don't even know what season Jesus was born in. Shepherds didn't keep their flocks out in the fields at night during the winter. So it probably didn't happen then. And so we just, we just need to admit that, okay? We, we don't know. So why December 25th? Um, for the first couple centuries of, of Christianity, they didn't really celebrate birthdays that wasn't that big of a deal. So Jesus' birthday wasn't celebrated that much. His resurrection was, because that was the game changer, right? But, but his birthday, we, we, we don't know. Um, the December 25th date goes back to the Romans, because all roads lead to Rome, right? So Romans, at the end of the year, at the end of their calendar year, they would have all of these festivals uh, to different gods throughout that time. One of their gods was the sun god, S-U-N, and they celebrated his birth on what they believed to be the shortest day of the year, the shortest, uh, the, less, the least amount of light um, over the period of a day for the year. They were off by a couple days, but they thought that was December 25th, Okay. And I want you to see how this connects to what we've been saying the last couple of weeks, okay? Because the Jesus movement, the Jesus revolution was alive and well in Rome at this point in history. So uh, the, the Romans loved their festivals. Uh, days off of work, uh, the kids weren't in school, partying in the streets. So the Christians in Rome said, okay, well, since we're off work anyway, since the kids are home anyway, since you know we're celebrating anyway, and since we don't know when Jesus was born anyway, why don't we celebrate his birthday on the 25th of December? And instead of celebrating the sun God, let's celebrate the birth of the son of God. And listen, if you think I'm making it up, you go look it up for yourself. It's, it's all there. And they started borrowing from the traditions of, of those Roman festivals, the idea of gift-giving, um, singing Christmas songs, uh, giving gifts, having big meals, bringing pine branches into your home. They started pulling all of these different festivals into the celebration of the one true God. In fact, there was, there was an unknown, unnamed theologian from 320 that put it like this, we hold this day holy. Not like the pagans because of the, of the birth of the son, but because of him who made it. So you see, you kind of see what's going on here, right? And some of you are like, yeah, you're totally messing with Christmas and I don't know if we should do it anymore. And, and over throughout history, there are people who have actually gone that direction. In, in the, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages celebration, had devolved into feasting and, and drinking and partying, supposedly in the name of Jesus, but people were completely missing it. Uh, the Puritans come along and decided to blow the whole thing up. In fact, around 1645, Oliver Cromwell, who led England for a little bit in 1645, he canceled Christmas. And so that's, that's one direction that you can go. You can get in line with the Puritans and blow the whole thing up. 
but I think there's a better way. We think there's a better way. I think we get in line with the Christians from even earlier who borrowed from their culture and leveraged things from their culture in such a way that they told the story of Jesus. Because does it really matter when Jesus was born? Doesn't it, or does it just matter that he was born? And now we can talk about giving more, right? Paul writes to the Corinthians, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. He's saying God is the best gift giver of all time. This gift is unspeakable. And nekdiagatos is the word in Greek. That word doesn't show up anywhere else in the New Testament. It means I've run out of words. <laughs> I'm speechless. And Paul was a pastor. And anytime a pastor is speechless, you know something's going on. He was speechless. I can't even tell you how good this gift is. What's the gift? Well, you know, but let's just be real clear about this. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And then John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, go even further back to Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So just, just to be completely clear, Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the gift, okay? So watch this. The way that you and I give gifts at Christmas can actually reflect and retell the story, the gift of Jesus, and connect our Christmas Back to the original story. We can retell and reflect the story in the way that we give gifts at Christmas. How do you do that? How do you do that? I'll give you some ideas. But before I do, I just, I just got to warn you. Every time I've talked about this particular tenet of Advent conspiracy, people get really intimidated. People get really uncomfortable because the minute you decide you're not going to buy Cousin Eddie that cheese log he's not supposed to be eating anyway, all of a sudden everybody thinks they got to go get a glue gun and some glitter and probably a bedazzler and figure out what to give everybody, right? And that's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what we have to do. You don't have to break out into a cold sweat, okay? You can do that if you want, but that's not really what, what we're talking about, okay? I'm going to give you three things. Three general ideas, three, three directions to go with our gift giving that can help in it. But I've, I've said from the very beginning, one of the best um, resources is Advent Conspiracy's website. You can go there and you can just read story after story after story of how people are giving more in their gift giving. I spent some time looking at those this week. There's just so many good practical ideas. So I want to encourage you to go there and take a look at that. But, but since I, I keep telling you it's about Jesus, okay? Real quick, I want to give you three clues from the life of Jesus and from Scripture where, where some of this stuff comes into play, okay? So here's the first one. Matthew reaches back to the writings of Isaiah um, where he uses a word we've heard before. We, we sang it this morning. This little one who would be born to Mary will be known as Emmanuel. It means God with us, okay? So the first thing that we notice about this gift is that God gave us his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E -E. presence it, in a very tangible flesh and blood kind of way. God moves in close. 
God comes to be with us. John tells us that, 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 the, that, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God moved into the neighborhood among us, right? And I don't, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that 2020 has been a crash course in how much the presence of other people is needed to be a healthy human being, right? I don't think that's an exaggeration. Even us introverts have to admit that 2020 has been a little bit lonely. And I can show you articles. I can show you statistics from people way smarter than me. But I'll just say this. Yes, we are absolutely dealing with a COVID pandemic this year. But I would also argue that we're dealing with a loneliness pandemic this year. The people are lonely. I can also show you where, where that loneliness is also the, the, the genesis for all the ugliness that we keep spewing on each other. But that's, that's, that's for another time. What if, just what if, what if we factored that into our gift giving? What if you thought through, how do I give the gift of presence to people this year? I mean, when, when a dad buys his daughter cooking lessons because she loves cooking and he loves cooking, but he buys them for both of them, all of a sudden they got to spend time together. They get to spend time together. That's the gift of presence. Uh, when a 13-year-old cousin gives his younger cousin a Rubik's Cube and then promises step-by-step -step instructions on how to solve this thing, but here's where it gets even cooler. They live six hours away. And so they got to FaceTime every single week to figure out how to, to, to do this. And, and anybody who's ever been the younger cousin looking up to the older, cooler cousin knows that is the gift of presence, of being among, being with people. So that's the first thing, the gift of presence. The second thing, the gift of Jesus was personal. It was personal. Go back to the story, Right? The, the angel says, a Savior has been born to you. The Savior has been born to you. And this, this little baby, Mary's baby, that grew up into a man paid attention to people. Yeah, he talked to crowds, but he spent time personally with people. Uh, just think about uh, the woman at the well, Nicodemus, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Peter, Zacchaeus, even the thief on the cross next to him. You wouldn't know about any of those individuals if Jesus hadn't spent his personal time with them, if he hadn't seen them, if he hadn't known them. I mean, when you read the story of Jesus, you start to, see, you start to realize he does things that people who are in a hurry forget to do. Because Jesus stops Jesus is interruptible. Jesus cries with those who mourn. Jesus laughs with those who are joyful. Jesus joins in parties. Jesus notices old ladies. He, he paid attention to people. And I think we can do that in our gift giving. And I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrible at this at just slowing down enough, paying attention enough to people to give a gift in such a way that it communicates, hey, when I bought this for you, 
I was thinking about you. I thought about you. So like what? How do you do that? Um, One son decided to write a, a devotional for his dad, but he included some of their favorite stories and memories together in that devotional. That's personal. It's a personal gift. You can't buy that anywhere. Um, a, a couple siblings had a sister who just had uh, her first baby, and decided to give their her sister and her their, their sister and their sister's husband twelve months of date nights. And so they babysat once a month for free, so these new parents could go and spend some time alone. That's that's personal. It's a personal gift. One more. So a widow takes. Um, her late husband's shirts and makes a quilt out of them to give to her grandson who never knew her grandpa, never knew his grandpa, right? And as a little boy, he's not going to care about that gift whatsoever, but I guarantee you, as he grows older, he will cherish that gift because it's personal. It's connected to him as a person. That is what it looks like to give personal gifts. So God moves in close. He provides us with his presence. Jesus is is a personal gift. And then the last thing, the gift of Jesus was costly. The gift of Jesus was costly. Paul says in, in Philippians that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, right? He went from heaven to earth, which that first step is a doozy. It's a big step goes from heaven to earth. He takes on the form of a man, but it goes even further than that. Not just a man, but a servant. Think about this. Jesus is used to being worshiped and adored in heaven. And he comes to earth and he's ridiculed. He's accused. He's ignored. And he's eventually killed. You talk about dichotomy, you talk about a change, you talk about wrestling with how in the world does somebody make that shift, but Paul goes on to say it's even further than that. He didn't just become a servant, he became obedient even unto death on a cross. That's costly. It's risky. The God of all things comes humbly to the earth. He created all for love's sake, became poor so he could make things right between he and us. And you say, Tim, I'm not God. I can't die for all mankind. No, you can't. But maybe you could die to yourself a little bit. Maybe for some of you, the most costly gift you could give this year is to walk across the street Walk across the living room, pick up the phone, and say, what do I need to do to make this right? Because I don't want this to be between us anymore. You can't buy that. You can't wrap that. But it may be the most costly gift you ever give. Maybe, I don't know, for some of us, maybe dying to ourselves means we're going to be a little inconvenienced either in the time that it takes to make the gift, to come up with the gift, to find the gift. 
I mean, almost, almost all the gifts that I read about on AC's website this week talked about the, the element of inconvenience, even, even risk to them. I mean, we've been, we've been talking about giving gifts like this for the past 10 years. I still stink at it. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. And I've given gifts to, to, to people like this and failed miserably. So I know firsthand how risky and, and costly may reject it, they may reject you. Here. And we've talked about this since October. gift you're offering to the office here during the week, whatever works for you. But I, I just want you to hear this is, this is risky for us. We're not meeting on site right now. We, we, we have no idea how this is landing with you. We have no idea how you're responding to this. We've never really done our Advent offering like this before. And you add on top of that this nervous energy revolving around the economy and what's going to happen next, right? So this is for us. But I just want you to hear, we've got an opportunity as a church, not just as individuals, not just as families, but as a church, we have an opportunity to reflect and retell the story of Emmanuel all over the world. All over the world. It doesn't just stop. It doesn't, it's not just contained to our families. This can go all over the world. It, it, it can provide clean water wells in Haiti. It can help. Um, there's 150 um, teenage girls that are pregnant in Uganda that need help. There's kids that are, that are living and dying in trash dump communities all over the world. We can help them with, with education and nutrition and spiritual guidance. There's even kids in our own community, the most at-risk kids in our own community, that we can help right here and right now. Those are the kinds of things that giving more as a church will be able to accomplish this year. And it's costly, it's risky, but our heavenly father paid a huge price in sending his son and we're just following his example, right? We're just, we're just, we're just following along with what he did for us in a very tangible, practical way. It's how we think we can retell and we can reflect the story of Christmas. And as we do this, again, as individuals and as a church, we're reaching back into the story of Emmanuel and allowing the world-changing, life-altering story of Christmas to continue to change the world around us. Okay, so here's, here's my encouragement. Here's my challenge as, as we wrap this up. God gave really, really good gifts to us. So I want to encourage you to give really good gifts this year. Put the time, put the energy into what a really good gift looks like for the people you're giving to. Give the gift of presence. Make it personal. Stick your neck out there a little bit and make it, I don't know, risky. Be a little risky in your gift giving. 
And let's just see. Let's see how our giving retells and reflects the story of Emmanuel. And then next week, we'll come back and we'll talk about the fourth tenet of Advent Conspiracy, the fourth thought that we believe can still change the world. It's about love all. Have a great week, everybody. Hope to see you next week.